Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and how the tech are you? We're going to do a Tech Stuff tidbits episode. For those of y'all who are not familiar, once in a while, I try and do kind of a a shorter, more concentrated episode on a tech topic that doesn't merit a full episode. Now, it's not to say that this particular topic doesn't merit a full episode, but it will actually require uh, a lot more in-depth discussion. And I wanted to kind of give an overview just to give y'all something to think about. So, Let's get to it. Late last November, the OpenAI organization launched ChatGPT, which if you haven't used it, uh, I recommend you go play with it. Try it out. You can make a little account for free and interact with this chatbot. So the GPT for ChatGPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, but it is a chatbot. Now, it's a chatbot that can respond to prompts and queries with sometimes astonishing results. Uh, This is the tool that has certain teachers worried that their students will be hoisting all of their homework onto this chatbot and make it 
you know, write essays for them. And it may not always be easy to spot when that happens. There are people who are actually offering tools that purport to be able to detect if it was generated by a chat bot as opposed to written by a student. So there's already this kind of seesaw struggle between the chat bots and the detectors, which is kind of interesting. Some people argue that Pandora's box has been opened and chat GPT came roaring out and it's going to make teaching even more difficult and challenging than it already is. By the way, if you're a teacher, my hat's off to you. Both my parents were teachers. They're both retired now. Uh, I have nothing but the the utmost respect for teachers. Y'all have a incredibly important, incredibly challenging, and criminally undervalued job. Anyway, for ChatGPT to work as well as it does, there are a ton of different elements that had to be implemented. OpenAI had to develop a sophisticated machine learning process to train ChatGPT so that it can formulate relevant and convincing, but not always accurate or correct, responses to prompts. And relevant is really important, right? If you ask something, uh, a question, and you get an answer that's about something entirely different, that's a really frustrating experience. So one thing that the app needs to be able to do is parse human language. And this is a non-trivial engineering problem. And we're going to talk about that briefly in this Tech Stuff Tidbits episode. So while ChatGPT is the launching off point, this is not exclusively applicable to ChatGPT. It's actually applicable to a wide range of applications. So when you hear the phrase natural language, that means it's how we humans tend to communicate with one another, with languages that naturally evolved out of culture and society. Uh, there are manufactured languages like Esperanto, where people created a language with the purpose of creating a language. But generally, natural language just refers to a language naturally evolving over time. And we've developed these over millennia, right? And a language includes things like the rules we use to form phrases and sentences, as well as the vocabulary we use to populate those phrases and sentences. So we've got syntax and grammar, and we've got vocabulary. All of these elements come together to form language, and you can't just throw them in willy-nilly or you will make no sense. That's why we have the, the structure and rules it also includes the quirks we develop over time, you know, exceptions to established rules and things like puns and jokes and idioms and that kind of thing, right? We have phrases that we use that mean something, but they don't necessarily mean the surface level. If I say it's raining cats and dogs, I probably do not mean that it literally is raining small furry animals. If it is, I will be inconsolable. I am saying instead that it's raining really hard, but I'm using this idiom to express that, right? So for humans, it's not that difficult to understand what someone is saying, if, assuming you both speak the same language, even if that other person is using some unfamiliar words, like you could be sitting in on, I think back to when I was in a, a class, an English class, and I had a, a professor who insisted on using the word paradigm and I had never encountered the word paradigm. I, it was not in my vocabulary. And I picked up uh, in context that the way she was specifically using paradigm was essentially as a stand-in for the word example. 
this taught me two things. It taught me one of the meanings of the word paradigm, and it taught me that my professor was incredibly pretentious. Anyway, context really can clue us in. Even if we don't know what a specific word or phrase means on the surface, from context, we can derive at least some meaning. Uh, we might still miss the full meaning, or on occasion, you might pull a malapropism, and you might use the wrong word in place of one you intended to use. This has happened to me many times. Uh, if you want a, a recent example of a character who uses malapropisms, you should watch the movie Glass Onion. There is a character in that who frequently uses the wrong word to stand in for something that he intends to say. Also, fun side note, the word malapropism comes from the world of theater. Richard Brinsley Sheridan wrote a play called The Rivals. This was back in the 18th century, so the late 1700s. And The Rivals includes a character, uh, a, a, a caretaker sort of, or a, um, a, a chaperone almost, and her name is Mrs. Malaprop. And she often employs the wrong words to comedic effect. She means one thing, but she says another because she's using the incorrect words, which makes the meaning of what she's actually saying change. And that's where the humor is, right? And I think this is a fun bit of history to know where Malaprop comes from, because there's actually another famous character from theater, from English theater, who predated Mrs. Malaprop by a couple hundred years. That character is Dogberry from Billy Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. And Dogberry also frequently uses the wrong words in an intended comedic effect. The difference is Mrs. Malaprop is actually funny, and Dogberry, more often than not, isn't. I'm mostly being a snobby tease here. Uh, please keep in mind that back in college, I majored in English lit with a focus on Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare dearly, but... Uh, I have issues with some of his comedy, although I guess you could argue the the broad gap in time between his time and mine could play a part in that. Anyway, my point is, it's not too hard for humans to communicate the same thought in lots of different ways. And if we encounter a new turn of phrase or a new word, we can pick it up without too much problem. This stands in stark contrast to computers and machines. Now, often in the show, I talk about binary information, about bits and bytes, because when you dig way down into how many machines process information, you're looking at circuits that run various mathematical operations upon strings of data, and that, that data is grouped into zeros and ones. This is binary or machine language. Computers can interpret this quickly. The computers are effectively looking at a series of off or on indicators. I, I often say a binary digit or bit is a lot like a light switch. It's either off or on. It's zero or one. When you put this through logic gates that are have specific designs to them, you run them through various operations, these zeros and ones can almost magically become complicated processes that let you do anything from uh, type out a script for a podcast to playing the latest video game. Now, make sure you, you keep in mind, I said almost magically. In fact, it's not magical at all. It's just that we humans can't really process huge banks of zeros and ones and really make much sense of it. Well, on a similar note, a machine without the proper programming can make no sense of our human languages. It is 
complete gibberish. It's meaningless to a computer. Now, it would be exceedingly difficult to do any significant kind of programming if programmers had to depend upon hard coding zeros and ones while composing their work. Fortunately, computer scientists came up with solutions, namely compilers and computer languages. And we're going to start with computer languages. A computer language creates levels of abstraction that make it a bit less daunting to write software for computers. So the idea is that each computer language has its own set of rules, like its own syntax, its own vocabulary. And as long as you work within those rules and you do so precisely and with as few errors as you possibly can, you can create a program to make the computer do whatever it is you want it to do. Because the computer language itself has built into it the ability to be converted into machine language. That'll get us to compilers, which we will chat about in a minute. In fact, we'll talk more about computer languages and compilers after we come back from this quick break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations 
affirmations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, before the break, I had introduced this idea of computer languages. Now, not all computer languages are equal, and there are dozens of them. Uh, In fact, there are some notable differences between computer languages. Some of them are very similar. Some of them share a common root computer language, and some of them could not be more different. Now, in general, we can separate them into two very broad categories. There are a lot of different ways to categorize programming languages, but we're looking at one of the most basic, which is low-level languages, and high-level languages. So a low-level language is relatively close to machine language. It only provides a thin layer of abstraction. And as such, it can still be very challenging for programmers to work with these languages because they're not that far off from the basic machine languages. Uh, It's a little easier. It's, It's designed so that humans can interact with it a little more naturally than they would with pure machine language, but it's not that easy. A high-level programming language, on the other hand, has a great deal of abstraction, and it's much closer to a human language in that way. So these languages are far easier for humans to work with on a day-to-day basis. And by humans, I mean programmers. Like, if you had never seen a computer programming language, and one day you just sat down to work on one, It would not seem easy or intuitive to you, probably. But both low-level and high-level languages have their own sets of rules. If you break those rules, your program is not going to behave the way you intend it to. It might not run at all. You might just get error messages. But yeah, they have rules, and if you follow them, then programs can potentially work. Now, if computers process information in zeros and ones and programming languages provide levels of abstraction that approach human language at the higher levels, how do we reconcile that? How does a computer interpret a program written in a language like Python, for example? Python is much closer to a natural language than it is a machine language. So how do we get to the point where a computer can take that information and actually execute a program? Well, the program, once composed, has to go through what we call a compiler. And the compiler's job is to take this program and, according to the rules of that programming language, convert the program from the programming language into machine code so that a computer can actually do something with it. So the compiler is kind of like a translator. And the compiler actually has to do a few jobs to make this happen. It has to scan the program's source code for recognizable commands and terms. It has to analyze the syntax, aka the the structure of the code to understand the order of operations. It has to break all that down into machine code that follows what the language says. And if the programmer made a mistake, well, that ends up getting translated too. And then you don't find out till you try and run the program. And then it gets back to debugging, figuring out where did you make that mistake in the actual program? Now, here's the thing. The programming languages, while they can create high levels of abstraction, are still not necessarily accessible to the average person, like I had mentioned before the break. Uh, You know, I'm talking about the average person 
who has little to no experience with computer languages or programming. So to people like that, and I'll include myself here, a sheet of code written in even a very high level computer language might end up being indecipherable. You could look at it and say, I don't know what this program is supposed to do because I don't know enough about this programming language to understand what any of this means. As such, for folks such as myself, Programming a computer is a daunting task because we lack the basic knowledge of the programming languages we would need to use to make an effective program. Now, you you can teach yourself these things. Lots of people have. In fact, a lot of the most famous hackers and even like leaders in in tech business are self-taught programmers. So there's nothing stopping you from doing this, even if you never took a class in computer science or programming. In my case, it's literally that I haven't sat down to do any programming since the days when I did it in Apple Basic, and I only vaguely remember those days. But, you know, what if you could interact with a machine through the use of natural language, not a programming language? What if the computer were able to take your queries and commands that were either written or spoken in everyday human language and then suss out what it was you wanted and then give it to you? That's the goal of natural language processing. And we see it in different implementations, right? With ChatGPT, it's a text-based interaction. But with smart speakers, it's through speaking it into a microphone and getting a response. But the basic idea is still the same. And at a shallow level, it appears that a computer is able to understand you and can respond in kind. But in reality, What is going on in the background is a very complex analysis to determine what it is you are saying or asking or typing or whatever. And like a compiler, a natural language processor has to identify all the components of a query and to analyze the syntax and then respond in a way that's most likely to be relevant. For example, if I were to ask a a smart speaker, what's the weather in Walt Disney World today? It would have to understand that I've got a a location I've given. It's not my location. I've asked for Walt Disney World. I've asked a specific uh, set of data, what is the weather? And I've given a time frame of today. It would have to understand all that, analyze all that, and then get the correct response and present it to me. And that's that's incredible. Like, that's an incredible amount of work going on in the back end. It happens almost instantly whenever we interact with these systems. But it's a lot of stuff that has to happen in order for that to work. Otherwise, we would end up with devices that just do irritating things. Like, I imagine telling my smart hub to dim the lights, and instead it tells me what the weather is at the Magic Kingdom. And I'm thinking, well, that's nice, but the lights are still too bright. Please dim them so I don't have to get up off my couch, walk across the room and turn a dial because, you know, lazy. Anyway, as for natural language processing, that's a simple phrase that hides how insanely complicated the actual process is. In reality, natural language processing is a multidisciplinary area of development. It incorporates elements of artificial intelligence, machine learning, human linguistics. There's a bit of psychology that goes in there, too. And the evolution of natural language processing is a little difficult to trace, particularly if you're looking at it from the perspective of a user. So way back in the day, kiddos, a lot of computer games didn't have graphics. They were text-based games, kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Do they they still have those? Uh, If you're familiar with them, you read these books, 
And at the end of certain pages, you are presented with a choice and it gives you two different page numbers to go to, depending upon whichever choice you make. And then you continue the story from there. Well, a text-based adventure was very similar to that. Uh, there were fewer overt prompts in your typical text-based adventure. You could, theoretically, you could choose to type in whatever you wanted. Uh, so you could type commands into a prompt line and then the computer game would produce a response. So you might type something like, look, and that would prompt the game to produce a description of the environment that you were in at the moment. Or you might type inventory to find out what stuff you happen to be carrying on your character. Or you might type put bit in T in order to get the dagnabbed improbability drive working. I am still traumatized by the text adventure, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, decades later. That game was fiendishly hard and non-intuitive. Anyway, then the program would respond appropriately. It would give you the response based upon the command you typed in. And on a surface level, it looked like the computer game understood what you were saying. Except as soon as you typed in a phrase that the programmers hadn't accounted for or just didn't support for whatever reason, you would get a pretty standardized message saying something along the lines of, I'm sorry, I don't understand. And so it turned out the game didn't understand you at all. Instead, the game had a list of inputs that mapped to specific outcomes. And if you provided the input, well, you'd get the outcome. But anything outside of that list was not something the game could handle. And it had to give you a, a response saying, I'm sorry, I can't do that, or something along those lines. So it gave the illusion of understanding that the player would quickly come to learn that there was no such thing actually going on in the background. On a similar note, we have chatbots. And these have been around for ages. And developers have worked for a long time to make chatbots sophisticated enough so that you might start to think that maybe the chatbot actually understands what you're saying. Or maybe there's a real human on the other side posing as a chatbot. We'll talk about that again in just a second. But first, let's take another quick break. Working remotely. Where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so you've likely heard of the Turing test, which is this mythical test for artificial intelligence and to determine whether or not a computer may or may not have sentience or consciousness or whatever. Uh, that That is really kind of snowballed from what it originally was, but it, the basic idea is that it's a take on a game called The Imitation Game. And in this game... A, a person, an interrogator, sits down at a computer terminal and they compose questions and they get answers displayed on a, a computer display in front of them. And their job is to determine whether or not the entity that's creating the responses is another human or, in fact, it's a machine that's attempting to pose as a human. And if you get to a certain percentage of interrogators who cannot be certain or they mistakenly misidentify a machine as a human, you would say that machine passes the Turing test and it can convincingly pose as a human. Well, we've seen lots of different examples of chatbots that have supposedly passed the Turing test. But again, this isn't like a solid test. It's It's not like the SATs or something. There's not like a solid grading structure. It's more it's more interpretive than that. Uh, but some of the early chatbots we saw do this kind of thing by selecting a subset of human behaviors. So an example, there were early chatbots that were meant to simulate someone who had paranoid schizophrenia, or it would pose as a therapist, which mostly involved taking whatever it was you last said and then turning it into a question, such as, why do you think that your coworkers don't like you? I gotta say, Dr. Spazzo gave me a lot of complicated feelings. Anyway, by selecting this subset of human behaviors, the programmers are limiting the sort of things that the chatbot would be expected to chat about. And they would also plant an expectation in the part of the human interrogator. It lowers expectations, in other words. If you are told that, hey, you're going to be chatting with someone and it might be a young boy from another country who only has a passing understanding of, say, English, 
and uh, they are like 15. Well, that's going to set your expectations, right? You're no longer going to think, oh, this is someone who's going to have a very deep knowledge of, say, the Vietnam War. That's not going to happen. So there's some leeway there. Uh, anyway, that's that's one of the tricks of creating chatbots that are convincing. But these days, we're actually seeing much more sophisticated chatbots like ChatGPT. And they seem to actually understand what it is we want. And we can give ChatGPT a complicated prompt, and the program is capable of providing a response. So, for example, I actually did this. I wrote in the prompt, compose a haiku about GPUs, that is graphics processing units. And this is what ChatGPT created for me. <clears throat> GPUs speed up my code. Processing data lightning fast. Silent, powerful force. Now, I could point out that this poem does not strictly adhere to the structure of haiku, because a, a, a typical haiku, the first and third lines have five syllables, the middle line has seven syllables. The haiku, quote-unquote, that ChatGBT produced had seven syllables, eight syllables, then six syllables. So this is not a haiku in the structural sense, but you... You do see how ChatGPT is trying to comply with my request. It, it's giving something that has the feel of a haiku, even though it's not, strictly speaking, a haiku. Now, I've talked in the past about how ChatGPT pulls data from a huge library of information. It is not actively connected to the internet, but instead has this massive repository of information that it can pull from, kind of like having a really big encyclopedia, like hard-coded encyclopedia. Think of something that you would have in a home library, actual books. The information in those books is not going to change, not frequently. Like once a year, you might get an updated uh, volume that gives information about different things that have developed over the year. But otherwise, no, it doesn't change. So ChatGPT is not pulling the most recent information and then serving that up, it's it's going to this big library. Now, unfortunately, that library doesn't guarantee that the responses you get are going to be accurate. They will appear to at least be relevant because ChatGPT's programmers were really good at having it analyze queries and to really hone in on what was being asked so that ChatGPT's response, its generative response, would relate to the query. It is uh, one common complaint with ChatGPT that it presents information in such a way as to seem authoritative, though in fact it may not quote-unquote know what it's talking about. So it's working on this very complicated system to parse language, infer meaning based upon the words and syntax provided by users, and then generate a response following the basic rules of grammar and vocabulary while probabilistically picking the most likely response to be correct and to be relevant. Again, this is something we humans do pretty naturally, but for computers, it is anything but natural. It required a ton of work and evolution to get there. Now, beyond the surface level, I feel it's important to say that ChatGPT does not truly understand what we're saying to it or what it's saying to us. Not on the level of deriving meaning. From it. It's not able to associate different ideas. It's not able to come up with something new. It's not thinking. It's analyzing and it's responding. And it's doing so in a very cool way 
but it's not sentient or anything like that. Now, I will probably do a full episode about what's going on behind the curtain with natural language processing. It's a pretty challenging topic to cover. Uh, it is incredibly complex. It is incredibly sophisticated. It requires an interdisciplinary approach that is hard to describe easily. And it also typically involves several different machine learning strategies that are somewhat challenging to describe, particularly without the benefit of visual aids. But I think it's worth diving into. And I think we can do it. I think we can at least get a, an appreciation for how these systems are working. If nothing else, it can remind us that the magic we're experiencing when we tell ChatGPT to compose, say, a punk rock song about the iPhone, we understand that what we see is the result of complex processes and not, you know, some sort of mystical event. Now, I say that not to take anything away from the phenomenal achievements of the hundreds of folks who have worked on natural language processing projects, but rather to prevent the rest of us from bringing meaning where maybe there is no meaning. We don't want to project onto this thing. We don't want to make assumptions because that could lead us down pathways where we start to trust things that are inherently not totally trustworthy. One of the issues we've heard multiple times with chat GPT is that it's kind of a black box in that you ask a question, it gives you an answer, but you don't see the process that chat GPT went through in order to understand what you were asking and then generate the answer that it gives you. And because of that, you can't double check its work, right? You can't check to see what sources did you pull your information from to generate your answer because the sources may or may not be reliable. And ChatGPT may be a phenomenal tool, but if it's pulling from unreliable resources, well, the answer you get is still going to be wrong. But because ChatGPT doesn't really do that, doesn't really show its work, uh, that's where you start to run into these problems. And the more dependence you put upon these kinds of systems, the more important it is to understand how these systems are actually generating the responses. This goes beyond chatbots, obviously. This applies to AI across the board. It's an ongoing issue within AI in general, is this desire to make certain that the uh, results that AI generates, where whatever it may be, maybe it's facial recognition technology, now, maybe it's uh, a, a robot deciding how to open a door. Being able to see that process and understand what steps the system went through in order to get to its decision are critical in order to be able to, uh, to judge how well that's, that overall system works or doesn't work or if it's reliable or unreliable. Uh, that transparency is absolutely necessary for that sort of thing. And Frankly, a lot of the systems we encounter today have a lack of transparency, and that makes it kind of scary. However, that being said, I think ChatGPT is a really, really cool project. Uh, I do share the concerns of people relying upon it to do work that they should be doing. Um, I think that's I think they're cheating themselves. If you aren't doing the work, then you're not learning how to think, which is the most important lesson you can learn in your education is learning how to actually think and to think critically. And if you deny yourself that, then you've just set yourself up to be led around by the nose by anyone who has a convincing enough story. And uh, that rarely turns out well. 
at least it doesn't turn out well, except for the person who's doing the leading. And even they tend to come to a bad ending once it's all said and done. All right, that's it. Hope you enjoyed this text stuff tidbits about natural language processing, specifically within the context of chat GPT. Like I said, we'll have to do a much deeper dive because this isn't even really scratching the surface. Like that, this is such a deep, dense topic that we could do a couple of episodes about it and really kind of explore it. Uh, I would even reach out to experts to have on the show to talk with them about it. The only issue there is that uh, I would worry very quickly that experts would use terminology and jargon that I'm not familiar with, let alone some of my listeners. Some of y'all are way ahead of me on this stuff, and that's awesome. Some of y'all are probably in the same position that I'm in, where you know, you could hear someone spout off a lot of jargon and not know what the heck they were saying. Context be darned. It would just not be be uh, accessible to you uh, and, or to me. And so, yeah, I just got to make sure that if I pick someone who is an expert, they're also a great communicator for that kind of stuff. Uh, some engineers are phenomenal communicators and some are phenomenal engineers who can make machines sing, but may not be able to uh, talk with other human beings in a way that the other human beings can follow. It's it's more that, you know, I lack that experience and understanding to do it uh, confidently and accurately. But yeah, we'll do more about natural language processing. I didn't even really touch on the spoken language processing stuff, you know, like things like speech to text and that kind of thing. That stuff is also incredibly complex. It adds other layers of complexity upon the system. Um, I have talked about those in the past. I've done episodes where I've talked a bit about, you know, like things like like voice recognition and those sorts of things and speech to text. But uh, yeah, that's also important to remember that that adds yet another layer. Well, that's it. Hope you're having a great 2023 so far. I mean, we're four days into it. Hope things haven't gone pear-shaped already. And if you have any suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, there are a couple of ways you can reach out to me. One of those is to download the iHeartRadio app. It is free to download and to use. You can go to that little search bar, type in Tech Stuff. It'll take you to our page. You'll see there's a little microphone icon there. If you click on that, you can leave a voice message up to 30 seconds in length. Say hi. Tell me kind of what topics you would like to hear about. Or if you prefer, you can pop on over to Twitter and send me a message there. The The Twitter handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.